Well, welcome everybody to uh, Renaissance on this uh, Valentine's Day and President's Day weekend, and uh, it's exciting to have you guys here. When I came in last night, I'm just going to give another shout out to Andrew. He's just on a roll. I came in last night and he handed me a Valentine. It was like one of those little cards you remember when you were a kid and you passed them out in elementary school. Mine had a little Twix on it, and on the back there was a uh, one of those temporary tattoos, which I decided not to wear this morning uh, for you guys. But anyway, I just appreciate Andrew and the guys in the booth, the women in the booth, all that they're doing to, you know, the lighting and the sound and all that. It's just great to, uh, to have them involved in that. My name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, please come on up and say hi afterwards. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a real blessing to me to get to, to meet folks and get to know you a little bit and find out a little bit more about you and uh, what's going on in your life. If you weren't with us uh, last week, as Michael mentioned, we started a series that we're calling Undeserved, and we've been talking about God's grace and how we don't deserve God's grace, yet he pours it out on us. And, And we talked about how we live in a society where we feel like we work hard, we study hard, we play hard, so we deserve to be rewarded for our efforts. But what is so amazing about God is that he actually does not always give us what we deserve. He doesn't often give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us more than we deserve, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. And and it started in the Garden of Eden, started with creation. God created this incredible world, and he gave it to us. He said, here, enjoy it, take care of it. I made this, and you get to have it, and you get to enjoy it. And we hadn't done anything to deserve it because we didn't exist at that point until he gave us that garden. So that was the first place where God poured out his grace in a lavish, incredible way, uh, uh, poured it out on us in that lavish and incredible way. And our response not too long after that was to say, fine, and we're going to go our own way and do things our way. And then we actually broke the world. We broke our relationships with one another. We broke our relationship with God. And we messed up the environment as well. This incredible blessing that God had given us, we decided not to trust him. And, and, and we messed it up. And we saw that one of the consequences of that was the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, decided not to trust God when he wanted to bring them into another really amazing land that he had prepared for them. They decided that they weren't going to trust him. And so he said, fine, you're going to end up wandering around in the desert for about 40 years. And they did, and that was a consequence of their actions. But what was so amazing is at the end of that time, God reminded them that for those 40 years of wandering around in the desert, their clothes had not worn out. And you're like, they wandered in the desert for 40 years and their clothes didn't wear out? Yeah, that was God's grace. Even though they didn't see it, God was still pouring out his grace on them. And we talked about how even in the desert times that we experience, God still pours out his grace on us. And then we talked about how his ultimate act of grace was when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again, not because we deserve for him to do that. We actually deserve the opposite. And yet, Jesus died for us. He got what we deserved so that we could get what he deserved. And that was the ultimate act of God's grace. And then we talked about a definition or a description of God's grace that I just love. And it's by a pastor in uh, Florida who happens to be Billy Graham's grandson. His name is Tullian Chavidjan. And he says, grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Grace is one-way love. 
It's God's love from him to us, not because we deserve it, not because we've done something to earn it. It's based entirely on his character and not at all on our character or our behavior. And we ended by asking the question, why, in light of the incredible grace that God is offering us, why would we settle for what we deserve when God is saying, I can give you and I want to give you, I want to give you so much more than you deserve. So why do we fight and we struggle and we try to earn and we grab for what we deserve when God is saying, no, I'm going to pour out so much more grace and so much more blessing on you. And so that's really where we ought to be. And so what I want to do this week is extend this idea of grace to another area of our lives. Last week, we were focusing more on things like forgiveness or encouragement. This week, I want to focus on the idea of empowerment and how God, God's grace relates to our gifts and our talents and our abilities. So ask, ask this question, what talents do you have? What are you really good at doing? What do you enjoy doing? What are you passionate about? And you see that, you know what? I have this gift. I have this skill. I have this talent. You know, maybe you're a musician and you play an instrument really well. Uh, or you're an artist and you're, you, know, you, you paint. Uh, maybe you're a computer whiz and it's just working with computers and programming and designing things uh, comes super easily to you. Or maybe you're in the financial industry and you can see the big picture of what's going on in the global economy and you can shape and create complex financial transactions between multi-billion dollar international corporations that the rest of us are just kind of sitting there and our heads are spinning as we try to get our heads around those numbers. But for you, it's, it's simple because you have this talent, you have this skill, you have this, this, this ability uh, maybe you're a people person, and you're, just the, you're the kind of person that when you walk into a room, you can just meet people, and, and it comes naturally to you, and you can have encouraging conversations with them. And it goes on and on and on. Our talents and our skills and our, our gifts and our abilities are really as diverse as the people in this room are diverse. But thinking about those talents <clears throat> excuse me, raises uh, uh, several questions. First of all, uh, where, do, where do my talents come from? You know, what's the source of the skills, of the abilities that I have? And then secondly, how do I develop them? I may have the raw talent, but how do I develop those skills? And then maybe most importantly, what am I supposed to do with the talents that I have? Why do I have them and what am I supposed to do with them? So I want to talk about uh, several of those things uh, this morning with you guys. Researchers tell us that it takes about 10,000 hours for someone to really develop a talent or a skill. And most people who have put in 10,000 hours or more working on a skill, developing their talents and their abilities, they're pretty proud of their accomplishments and they feel like they deserve some sort of accolades uh, for what they've done. And if you've ever read the book Outliers by uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he popularized this idea of what now is known as the 10,000 hour rule. And he said that one of the key factors in distinguishing 
people who are experts or geniuses or world-class competent people in their field is that they have put in at least 10,000 hours developing that skill, trying to master it. And, you know, pretty much anything Malcolm Gladwell writes is a bestseller because he's so good at taking these complex ideas and simplifying them and, and giving us hope, you know, that this can be true in our lives as well. So when you think about 10,000 hours, at first it seems pretty daunting, but if you step back for a second, you realize, okay, that's 40 hours a week for five years. Well, most of us, you know, spend a lot more than 40 hours a week on our jobs. And so after a period of five years, you're pretty competent at what you do. But say you don't have that 40 hours a week to develop the particular talent that you really want to do because your job and your talent don't actually coincide exactly the way that you want them to do. Okay, it's 20 hours a week for 10 years. It's still a long time and it's a lot of work, but it's not an impossible situation. And if you spent time developing a talent, you know that you begin to see the progress being made and you can be encouraged that if I keep at it, the day will come when I'm able to say, I've mastered that skill. I've always got room to grow, but I've mastered it, and I can feel, you know, uh, proud of my accomplishment. And so that this idea of 10,000 hours is pretty attractive, and it works, except when it doesn't work, like in my case with regard to singing. I have spent way more than 10,000 hours singing in the shower and here, you know, at Renaissance, and you will never hear me singing on this stage, at least with a microphone, because they won't give me a microphone for that. Why? Because I don't have the raw talent that Ian and Michael and Julie and Dave and, you know, some of the other people uh, that, that sing up here. I just don't have that raw, innate talent. So there's nothing there to develop. No one actually pays me not to sing, but nobody actually pays me to sing either. It's just, it's just not going to happen because I don't have that raw talent. And so no matter how many hours I practice, I'll never reach their level of proficiency. So there's got to be something more than just simply the number of hours that I put in. And researchers would agree, 10,000 hours is maybe accounts for at most a third of our ability to master a skill. There's got to be that raw talent there. Elizabeth Gilbert, you may have heard of, she wrote the uh, international best-selling book, Eat, Pray, Love, which was her memoirs of her travels around the world, sold like 10 million copies worldwide. It was turned into a major motion picture. Lots of people saw that as well. Uh, a few weeks ago, I watched her give a TED Talk. If you've never seen these TED Talks, go to the website, ted.com. Just look for the most popular talks. Hers is like number 10, 12, 15, somewhere on those really amazing talk. It's called Your Elusive Creative Genius. And in that talk, she refers to the ancient Roman concept of a genius. And, and the idea that the Romans had was that a genius was this sort of divine attendant spirit that would empower an artist and enable him or her to do their work in a way that they were not otherwise innately able to do. And so 
she talks about this and she says one of the great things about these, this idea of a genius who's empowering you is that it protects you on the one hand from narcissism. It protects you from pride, but it also protects you from anxiety and fear. And in terms of the pride aspect of things, if you produce, if you as an artist produced a really great piece of, uh, of art, of, of a piece of art there, uh, everybody knew that the credit didn't go to you, it went to your genius, because if it weren't for that genius that was empowering you, you wouldn't have been able to do that. And conversely, you were protected from anxiety and fear because everybody knew that if your next piece of art bombed, it wasn't your fault, it was that your genius just did a lousy job. So either way, you didn't get the credit, you didn't get the blame, and so there wasn't this pride, this hubris, this arrogance that we sometimes have today. And there also wasn't this debilitating fear or anxiety that we can have when we're worried, what are people gonna think of what I'm doing? And so she found this concept of a genius very attractive to her as a creative person. And she mentioned that long about the time of the Renaissance, there was a subtle shift that occurred in uh, our language. Prior to the Renaissance, people referred to uh, people as having a genius. But after the Renaissance, we started talking about someone being a genius. Very subtle shift in the language, very subtle shift in the thinking, but that shift in language, that shift in thinking opened the door to so much of the pride and the arrogance and the hubris and the narcissism that we all are challenged with today, but also opened the door to that anxiety and that fear because instead of seeing that I have a genius, then it has to be I am a genius or maybe I'm not a genius. I am good or I'm not good at this. And so she talked about that shift and she kind of lamented that and she was longing for those days of going back to that concept of having a genius. You know, and, and, and as you think about it, <clears throat> I think Elizabeth Gilbert is right in some sense, though I'm not sure that I fully buy the idea that we have this, you know, attendant spirit called a genius uh, that, that comes on us and enables us uh, and empowers us to, to, to do uh, exercise our talents and our gifts and our abilities. But the Apostle Peter, who was one of the leaders in the early church, actually talks about a very similar concept. And what he says is that God is the one, by his grace, who gifts us with those talents and with those abilities and with those skills. And so that those talents that we have come from God. And in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What Peter is saying is that our gifts our talents, our abilities, our skills are actually manifestations of God's grace in our lives, not because we deserve them. If you're born with this talent, what did you do to deserve that? No, it's a gift of God's grace to us as a blessing to us and to others, and we'll get to, to that aspect uh, 
in a moment, but God loves us and he wants to pour out his blessings on us. And one of the ways that he does so is by giving us these gifts and these talents and the, these abilities. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people would agree that yes, okay, the raw talent is a gift from God, but then I take it from there. Okay, God, thanks. I really appreciate that you gave me this ability. I got this. We're going to move on from there, and I'm going to develop that with my strength so that I can perfect that and become the genius or the expert or, you know, the whatever it is that I want to be. Anna Pavlova was a Russian prima donna ballerina in the 19th century. She puts it this way. She says, God gives talent, but work, hard work, transforms that talent into genius. And so we do have to ask ourselves the question, if, okay, God gives us the talent, who is it? Who is it that really enables us to develop that talent? Is it me? Is it I who have the strength to do that? Or is God the one who's giving me the strength to put in those 10,000 hours, the discipline to be able to spend the kind of time that I need in order to develop my talent? Peter says, ultimately, it's coming from God. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so, here's the key, with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says something similar. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and yet his grace to me was not without effect. No, and watch this. I love the way he puts this. I worked harder than all of them. I didn't just sit on the couch. I worked hard. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So he's saying, on the one hand, I worked hard. I actually did something. Yet it wasn't I, it was the grace of God. Why was I able to work hard? Because God poured out his grace on me and gave me the strength, gave me the discipline, gave me the health that I needed, gave me the opportunities that I needed, gave me the environment that I needed. And so ultimately, the credit goes to God, not to myself, for what he's done. And, and so God is the source of our talents, and God is also the source of the strength, the discipline, the environment the resources that we need in order to develop those talents. And that leads us to the question of what is it that he wants me to do with my talents? He's given me these talents. Is it just so that I can enjoy them? And yes, I should enjoy using them, but isn't there something more to that? And Peter says, yes, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in, his various, in its various forms. So the purpose of my talents, whatever they may be, is to serve others. God gave me my talents not simply to bless me, and they certainly are a blessing to me. Your talents are a blessing to you. But he gave them to each of us to be a blessing and to serve other people. And in fact, when he says that we're to be faithful stewards, the idea of a steward, steward doesn't own something. They've been entrusted with something that they're to use in order to accomplish the the purposes of the one who entrusted them with that talent. And so God says, I've entrusted you with the talents that I've given you. You're to be a faithful steward accomplishing my purposes. 
And one of those key purposes is serving other people. And so I was thinking about that this past week and thinking about just the, the literally, you know, well over 100 people in Renaissance who are serving in so many different ways. And, and one that came to my mind, uh, there's a gentleman who recently retired after being a corporate executive for, for most of his career. Incredible organizational skills, just wonderful abilities. And he has spent more than 10,000 hours perfecting those organizational skills and, and developing them and really becoming an expert in that field. And so what he's doing now is he's using those skills to serve others at Renaissance by helping to organize our care ministry. There are people who have needs at Renaissance and there are people who are able to meet those needs. So for example, someone's in the hospital and they need someone to come and visit them. How do we connect the people who love to go to the hospital and just can be so encouraging to these people? How do we connect them with one another? Or someone's just had a baby or you know, maybe has gotten out of the hospital and they need some meals provided for them for a week or more just as an encouragement there to help with their family situation. There are other people who love to cook and are really good at making meals in that way. How do we connect the people with the needs with the people who have the gifts to be able to meet those needs? This man is involved not in doing the hospital visits so much, not in making the meals, but in the organizational aspects of that. And if you saw all of the aspects of our care ministry, you'd realize, yeah, there's a lot to organize there. So this guy is using his talent for organization to serve others and make a difference in, really, in so many of our lives. When you came in this morning, probably grabbed a, uh, a bagel and a cup of coffee. Why are the bagels and the coffee there? Because many years ago, people had a vision for a kitchen ministry to be part of what it means to be a welcoming church. And because there are men and women who are involved in that every week using their gifts, using their talents, whether it's the creativity to come up with uh, just the ideas for the kitchen ministry or whether it's the conversation that they have with you when you're, you know, when you're in there talking. They're using their gifts to serve others and it's encouragement and it's a blessing and it makes, the difference, it makes a difference in the lives of us as a church. I have a friend who attends another church, and he has an unbelievable ability to earn money. He's just, God has blessed him with the ability to earn money. And he went to the leadership of his church, and he said, God has given me the gift of being able to earn money, and I feel like I have the gift of giving. Would you please come to me when there's a financial need in this church, whether it's for something to do with the building or whether it's someone... Uh, who's in financial need because they've lost their job or whatever it is. If there is a financial need in this church, would you please come to me and allow me to exercise my gift and my skills and my talents in order to be able to meet that need? And he loves doing that. And we could go on and on and on. The point being that God has gifted each of us in different ways and we're to use those gifts to serve others. And when we do that, we enjoy it. It's really encouraging to be able to see God use my gifts, use your gifts in the lives of other people. It brings us great pleasure, but it also brings a bit of danger because as it feels good to use those gifts, it is very tempting to take credit for the gifts that I have. But if they're a gift, 
How can I take credit for what I didn't earn, for what I don't deserve, but for what God gave to me? And Peter points this out. And in, in verse 11, he, he says, if we speak, we should do so speaking the very words of God. If we serve, do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Why would God be praised? To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Why would God be praised? Why would he get the glory? Because he's the one that gave us the gifts. He's the one that gave us the talents. He's the one that gave us the strength to develop our skills so that we're able to use them to serve others. So we need to make sure that God gets the credit and we don't take the credit away from him. So yes, let's enjoy using those gifts and those talents and those abilities, but let's do so in a way that we still make sure that we give God the credit for what he's done. And you know, this, this question about can we enjoy serving? Not only can we, I think God says we should. He wants us to enjoy serving. He wants us to enjoy using our gifts and our talents and our abilities. There's a passage, there's a verse of Scripture that we've read on a number of occasions here at Renaissance recently uh, from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, yeah, give your money. And it could also be, you know, extended to, to use your other gifts and your other talents. But he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Do it cheerfully. Why? He wants it to be a blessing to us as the one who are exercising our gifts, not just to those who are receiving it, but he wants us to enjoy giving. My friend at this other church loves to give. It's a joy that he has when he's giving, and God wants us to do that. The Old Testament book of Micah, Micah was one of the prophets in the Old Testament. God talks about the importance of showing mercy, compassion to those in, in need. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. He doesn't say show mercy. He says love mercy. You can show mercy, you can show compassion without actually loving mercy and without actually loving compassion. But love is more than just an action. There's an emotion involved in that and he wants us to enjoy showing mercy to people so that when you're you know, you're with someone who's just lost a loved one. No one's smiling and happy. There's going to be a lot of tears. But as you are loving mercy and showing them that mercy in a loving way, you step back and you say, you know, I'm just grateful, Lord, that you enabled me to be an encouragement to that person who was in need. And we gain some matter of satisfaction and blessing as we see God pour out his grace on us so that we can pour out grace on others. And that's what God wants us to do. And so when we're a conduit, when we're an instrument of God's grace in the lives of other people, that is an amazing privilege that, that we have. So step back for a minute as, we, as we've looked at, at, at all of uh, what we've been talking about last week and this week, there's this big picture of what's going on, of what God is doing in the world around us. And one of the amazing privileges that he gives us is being part of what he's doing. And that's why 
he pours out his grace on us by giving us these gifts and these talents and these abilities. And so as we, you know, we talked about last week, he started out pouring out his grace in the Garden of Eden, putting us in this beautiful environment. We messed it up and he began this process of redeeming it and of restoring it and bringing it back to the way that he had originally intended to be. And he continues to over and over and over again pour out his grace on us and he showed his ultimate act of grace and his ultimate act of love in sending his son to die for us. And yet the story does not end with the cross and with the resurrection. It continues on and we're part of that ongoing story of God's grace. And he gave me, he gave you our gifts and our talents and our abilities in order to be instruments of his grace in the lives of the people around us, whether it's telling them the good news that Jesus has come and he's lived and he's died and he's risen again, that we could be restored by the, with, to a right relationship with God. That's being an instrument of God's grace in someone's life. But the same thing is true in terms of being an instrument of God's grace when we're helping someone, when we're encouraging someone, where we're meeting someone's physical need. Whatever it is, when we're using our gifts and our talents and our abilities, God is using us as his instruments in the lives of other people. And, and one of my favorite authors is a guy named Paul Tripp, and he, he describes this, he puts this in just in a really beautiful way. He says, embedded in the larger story of redemption is a principle we must not miss. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. God uses ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. And he's doing that because he's a God of grace. And part of his grace is to use us as his instruments in the lives of other people. I want to close with three questions, and I've sprinkled these kind of throughout the message. I want to pull them uh, together right now, and I, I want you to just take some time this week to ask yourself these three questions and kind of chew on them, meditate on them, ruminate on them, and pray about them as well. First question, what talents has God given me? How has God gifted me? What talents has God given me? Secondly, how am I using my talents? How am I using my talents? Am I using them for my own purposes or am I using them to serve others? And then third, who's getting the credit? Am I taking the credit for my talents or am I giving the credit to God? Because ultimately, he's the one that gave me those talents and he deserves the credit. I'm not the one who deserves the credit. So God has given all of us different gifts, different talents, different abilities, different skills. And he wants us to use those to serve others and to bring honor and, and, and glory to himself. And it's a pretty amazing privilege to think that the God of the universe has chosen us to be his instruments of redemption and of restoration and encouragement and of grace in the lives of the people around us. And we have a pretty amazing God, a God who loves to pour out his grace on us, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we've done anything to merit that grace, but because that's who he is. And so my encouragement to, to all of us, my prayer for all of us for, for this week is that we would just take the time 
to really think about how has God gifted me? How does he want me to use my gifts? And am I taking the credit or am I giving him the credit? He is so amazing. We can do nothing greater than to give him the glory for the incredible grace that he's poured out on us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you're a God of grace. I thank you that you're a God of love. Thank you for the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the skills that you've given to each of us. I thank you that you give us the strength to develop those skills. And I pray that you would give us hearts to use them to serve and to bless other people, to be used as your instruments of grace in the lives of other people. And as I, I pray that as we do, we would enjoy seeing you work in us and through us in other people's lives. And I pray that we would be careful to always give you the credit, to give you the honor, to give you the glory, not to try to steal it from you. But I thank you, Father, that you're a God of grace, you're a God of love, and that you long to pour out the riches of your grace on us. And I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you guys came out this morning. Hope you can stay warm and have a good afternoon.